Last time we, we discussed your professional development in both Great Britain and America, Jeff, and, and also your pioneering work with Dr. Rarick while you were a grad student. And then we discussed your years at LSU and how you were responsible for starting the AP certification in Louisiana. But during the second part of the podcast, let, let's talk about APAQ and its impact to help legitimize the profession. Um, I've asked Jeff to discuss the early years of APAQ and how it became the flagship journal. Um, we're also going to explore a number of topics regarding the journal, and Jeff will also give some good insight regarding research and publishing in general. But before we get started, I'm going to ask Scott to post on the podcast uh, blog the article that you published just recently. Um, it's pretty impressive. Uh, 2017, you wrote how APAQ was born that was published in APAQ. So that that article, I think, is an interesting read, and it really reinforces many of the topics we're going to discuss um, during this second part of the, the journal. So let's get into the birth of the journal. Um, let's let's uh, start by discussing uh, how the APAQ started, but you have a really interesting story to share, one I didn't even know about how you submitted a proposal for the journal a few years earlier than 80, 83 or to a different publishing company than Human Kinetics, right? Yes. Um, before I do that, can I also, uh, through you, ask Scott to post uh, another paper uh, sure. It was, one, it was one that I wrote called Birth of a Journal. And of course, mm -hmm. that was the uh, initial paper, a viewpoint paper, I called it, in uh, 1984, volume one, uh, issue number one, pages one to two. Because okay. that, provides, that provides a lot of information about, uh, uh, and looking at that article, and also... Uh, uh, how the editorial policy was described. It still has uh, relevance, perhaps surprisingly, and it describes quite well what the journal is or was supposed to be all about. So if you would do that, uh, sure, Barry, I'd be grateful. Yeah, we're um, glad to do that. Now, uh, as you indicated, uh, APAC is in its 37th year, or with human kinetics, but things could have been different. It didn't have to be, and might not have been human kinetics. Um, because uh, in April of 1980, uh, and I was then a professor at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, uh, I attended the annual convention of the Council for Exceptional Children in Philadelphia. And it was there that I met the acquisitions editor for Aspen Systems Corporation. That was a large Dutch company, uh, which was strong in health-related fields, and it was expanding its special ed portfolio. And I'd expressed the desire for APA to have a specialist journal, which it did not at the time, not, not uh, an English language uh, journal. And I was invited to submit a proposal, which I did, and it, that entered the evaluation process 
applicable to their journal's division and was favorably reviewed. Uh, and after a couple of, couple of months, I was informed that the application had entered the final round of evaluation. But I, what I didn't know at the time was that the acquisitions editor had been diagnosed with a terminal medical condition and he very quickly became very ill and died. And so later I received a phone call from uh, Aspen Systems indicating that in-process materials would be abandoned and there was uh, therefore wow. no new APA journal. And what I did was to uh, luckily file and forget about my proposal, but I had plenty of other things to do. And, and a journal was not really at the top of uh, my list because I think if you've got, at least I thought at the time, um, I'm not sure what I think now, but, but if you've got to publish your paper, there's somewhere to publish it. Uh, we don't have mm -hmm. to have FPAQ uh, for us to uh, function. So that was um, uh, in uh, the earlier years. But in 1982, at the annual conference of the uh, North American Society for the Psychology of Sport and Physical Activity, I was talking to Rainer Martins, and I, I knew him uh, vaguely. We had talked a couple of times. And he was the founder and, of course, then the owner of Human Kinetics. And he asked whether I'd thought about developing an APA journal. And I, I remember laughing uh, because at that time, perhaps, I, you know, I remembered and had forgotten uh, that in my filing cabinet, uh, which we used to have, you know, it was the days of typewriters and cars, sure. things like that. Um, uh, even buses had four wheels. Um, <laughs> sort of, sort of remembered it. Um, and he said, well, you know, do you still have it? Uh, will you willing to send it to me? And so I said, well, I want to have a look at it first and I'll send it. So it didn't take me many days before I sent it to him. And some months later, following an evaluation process, which Reiner described as being identical for all human kinetics journals. And I think that's an important thing for us to hold on to. I became editor of APAC, and that was in January 1983. So I was uh, editor of APAC a year before the inaugural issue in January 1984. So partnering with Human Kinetics was sort of somewhat by chance, and I think it turned right. out to be uh, uh, lucky that we did. Right. Yeah. Uh, just for the uh, to share with the audience. Uh, Basically, human kinetics at the time wasn't what it is today. Uh, um, and Rayner basically was a kinesiology professor at the University of Illinois, and he wanted to publish some conference proceedings in the in the early 70s, and he found no interest, and so he started his own publishing company. Also, think um, the audience would be surprised to know at the time there were a number of kinesiology professionals who questioned if APA was actually a specialized discipline with a body of knowledge, and if the field uh, was developed enough to really even warrant its own actual journal, I think that would be surprising to a lot of uh, people today, right? Um, yes. During that time, yeah. So that was interesting, but fortunately for us, you got selected and you became the editor and you had a lot of work uh, 
do because you only had is that right jeff a year before you published yeah. like you, you yeah. and so um i i think another thing that's that's interesting is that the beginning the journal uh was to publish both articles and adapted physical activity but also tr like therapeutic rec articles and so Back then, APA and TR were more closely aligned. There were many TR members in the consortium. So I, I'm thinking that was your reason you selected the two associate editors that you did, right? You had Claudine Cheryl, which most of the audience would know, but Herberta, uh, is it Letgren, who was at Penn State, correct? At the time, she was in yeah, TR? Yeah, Lundegren. Herberta? She, yeah, was, she was in TR, but she also specialized in motor learning. We, we, yeah. um, the consortium was, uh, of course, called the consortium, the National Consortium of Physical Education and Recreation. And right. um, there were uh, quite a number, uh, and, uh, and I'm sure I would guess half the membership were TR people, right. not, just, not just one or two. And Bill, Bill Hilburn was one of them, um, pipe smoking, mm. wine drinking Bill. Sure. <laughs> Good, we had good a big fun. impact on the profession, right? Yes, and, and, and he was the uh, federal officer responsible for that area of interest and very active. Uh, and another was John Nesbitt at the University of Iowa. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And, and they, were, they were both prominent in the early years. So we, we, I, I appointed those uh, two, Claudine and Herbie, uh, as associate editors. But in fact, we we got very few manuscripts uh, that we could call TR manuscripts, and so eventually we we sort of withdrew that. And and uh, I don't I don't think we consciously stopped looking for articles like that. We just we just didn't have any, and so I suppose yeah. uh, it, it just uh, went on its on its own. Um, the, APAC, of course, in its 37th year, uh, and we have had um, quite a lot of um, uh, changes in our APA sub-discipline sub over the last 40 years. And I think mm -hmm. there is one that needs to be mentioned that uh, certainly should have, and I think has had a big impact on the development of APAC and the development of our sub-discipline. And that was the development of graduate research degree training programs. The idea of having uh, our newer uh, APA uh, professionals uh, with specialized doctorates. Uh, that is relatively, well, I, I guess not new, but it um, comes after uh, the establishment of the public law. I mean, the original PL 94142. Um, mm -hmm. Ideas about the name. Um, right. Let's talk about that. It, it's, How you it's, came up with that. It, it's true that there were some discussions about the name. Um, but the answer, um, the discussions really didn't go anywhere. I remember Dennis Brunt sitting around one day talking about uh, the movement pathology quarterly and laughing at it uh, at the same time. But in fact, in my proposal uh, to 
Aspen systems, and then of course to human kinetics. And also uh, in that birth of a journal and the listing of the editorial policy, it, it really makes clear that uh, many adaptations, uh, uh, papers coming from several subdisciplines related to individuals with disabilities was highlighted. The notion of variability, whether it be of disabling condition or level of functioning or programmatic adaptations or equipment needs. Um, and then going beyond the uh, then usual school age range. Uh, those changes have existed, but I think that the graduate research degree program that mm -hmm. that um, uh, flow of of new doctoral uh, new new doctorally trained faculty has been a very important one. So I think right. the Good point. I think the name adapted physical activity is a natural one. And human kinetics decided it was going to be a quarterly journal. And so you have it there. The phrase adapted physical activity is seen in the European literature stemming from the 1950s. And I, in my studies at Loughborough, um, that phrase came up really quite uh, often. And, and phrases like right. uh, physical literacy and physical wisdom. Uh, they, they didn't begin in the 70s or 80s or 90s. They began very much uh, earlier. So I, I, I'm really quite pleased or flattered or surprised or something to, to read the birth of a journal and the editorial policy and be able to sort of nod my head and say, you know, that wasn't too bad. Right, that stood the test uh, of time, it, it, and that's one of the things that's interesting is when you write, can something stand the test of time, or will it? You look back at it, and it's, it looks very dated. You know, unfortunately, you still have people that use APA and AP and adaptive physical education interchangeably, and they're they're different, you know, terms. And so, um, I know you mentioned that at the beginning of the first part of the podcast, but um, maybe just a Briefly, a couple of thoughts you have. I mean, I know, you know, we agree, like APA is the umbrella term and, on that, but uh, some thoughts about APA and AP, the, the terminology? Well, so, I mean, I see one as being the umbrella term. Right, um, I agree. We're, we're still very struck or stuck with uh, IDEA. Mm -hmm. uh, there are there are many assistantships and faculty positions and programs that are either totally or partially funded by the federal government. Um, the, the the way that some universities still have not bought in to supporting APA really upsets me. Uh, I I think really there is no excuse for a university for 40 years having federal funds. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that some other number than 40 years, perhaps 10, no more. Uh, and then it, it has time for the university to, in a sense, buy into the program. Uh, and 
award the money somewhere else. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would have liked to have said that. And many years ago, I made that statement in conferences. And as you can imagine, it didn't, uh, didn't prove to be very popular. Sure. Um, I think, you know, for some people, because of the whole public school thing and adaptive physical education has the word education in it and we don't have to you know belabor the point but yeah um it's more appropriate to use the term adaptive physical activity as an umbrella term but let, let's talk a little bit jeff about so we're in the early stages of apaq and now you've got to put an editorial board together and reviewers and and i i looked just recently at the list of the first editorial board. And I just wanted to name a few people that were in adaptive physical activity. And these are names people would hopefully know, like Karen DePaul, John Dunn, Larry Rarick, uh, Greg Reed, Janet Seaman, Julian Stein, uh, a very, I'm sure, a very young Gail Oerick and, and Joe Winnick. And that's pretty prestigious uh, AP list for sure. So maybe discuss, you know, forming the editorial board and, and working with, you know, it's one thing to form a board. It's another thing to work with them. But also you had to solicit guest reviewers. I'm sure that came up is that that some people had a, had specific research expertise on a, on a specific topics dealing with adaptive physical activity. Yes, uh, that was somewhat of a nightmare. Um, <laughs> OK, sorry. So, <laughs> sorry about that. In, in England, they tell call it like that, it is, Jeff. All right, go ahead. Yeah, in, in, in England, they call that um, calling a spade a spade. Sure. Um, but but you see, uh, first of all, I had only been in the country a short time, um, late 1978, and uh, so so who did I know, um, mm -hmm. and how did I know them? So I I needed to know people in. Um, physical education and special education. Um, not that we always use those terms these days. Uh, but it's true that at that time, uh, the idea of publish and perish, I don't like the term in spite of the fact that I've just used it because um, not many people perish. A lot of people right. talk about it, but when push comes to shove, we have a lot of associate professors who sort of, in my word, uh, been sufficiently competent faculty members to receive tenure, but have not got a strong enough performance record or maybe desire or maybe skill to be productive tenured faculty members in a research setting. Um, so, you know, again, who were these people? Very few people of the board had published much. Right. The few of the board had had a record of grant writing. Um, those candidates uh, did not have the experience of developing um, a broad research theme. And as I said before, there was no flow of newly qualified research oriented faculty members. So I, I'm not sure I can remember really very well uh, 
how some of those names got there. Uh, but it also it also became the fact that um, it became apparent very quickly that uh, we needed many more reviewers than board members. Uh, and also some board members didn't know how to review papers. And yeah, well, why don't you talk about that, like the evaluation process, because I'm sure you didn't even like you had to develop an evaluation process for the reviewers. Well, and, we've and yeah, probably we evolved. Yeah. Yeah, we had the process. Uh, we had the particular forms and we uh, tried to send the paper out to three uh, reviewers, not not all right. board members, not all board members, um, and uh, although some of the papers were reviewed by Herbie and some by Claudine, um, I was the reviewer for all papers, and and that wasn't a lack of trust on my part. I think it was just that I was ultra conservative uh, and was determined to to make the paper. I mean, the you know, being being editor is not all good news. Uh, sure. You, you, you know, everything that's thrown is thrown at the editor, not the reviewer. Well, some of it is thrown at the reviewer. And mm -hmm. so, um, the idea was to produce a good journal, uh, but we could only published the best of what we received and in the early days we didn't get anywhere near as many submissions per year as uh, uh, Jeff Martin receives now for example and sure. so, so uh, you know and uh, the training had changed and so looking back on it I didn't make well i don't know I, I didn't make a very good selection in the sense of however fine the individuals were and how well they were acting as professionals their suitability for being uh, on the board of what was supposed to be a, a, an academic journal uh, that was that was in some cases questionable and mm -hmm. so with initial uh, two-year appointments some of them were not reviewed uh, I mean re renewed and I don't remember uh, receiving any negative feedback about that now we we also had forms to go to these three reviewers and uh, that that was shown to be really quite difficult um, because a copy of each form which was unsigned uh, was was sent to the author right along with my covering letter uh, outlining what i thought were the main elements uh, of what turned out to be everybody's requirements um, i didn't accept any paper without modification not not on purpose it just turned out that way whether I was finickety or, or, you know, other people can say what why that might have been. Mm -hmm. um, but that then means that uh, required changes are made or, or, or changes are required to be made, sorry. Uh, 
Um, now that's that's difficult because uh, do you send the uh, revision back to the same reviewers or do you send it to different reviewers or do you send it to a mixture of same and different reviewers yeah, either, way, sure. either way you can uh, you can find a new reviewer uh, finding what I will call different issues that need right. to be adjusted. Yeah. And so that can be very frustrating for the author who of thinks course. he should sure. cover. It goes out to a couple of new reviewers who find some calamity that needs to be existing. But all that uh, meant that the review process was sticky quite often. Uh, right. Took too long. But I mean, it did take long. And of course, in those days, all the conversations and correspondence was by snail mail. Right, or phone, yeah, and sure. So, and Carbon so copy that, uh, of the reviews. That, oh. That's the other thing, people, yeah, right? They were, it would be carbon copy, you know, as I remember it. Yeah, no, and, 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 and that was it. Uh, and sure. of course, sometimes a review was received that was... Um, inappropriate too sketchy too vague um right sort of off the sort of generally off the page such that i felt i could not send that review out to the author yeah um and so i sort of fudged a little bit i used to say something like you know here are two reviews and on occasions, I said, here's one review that I think uh, best summarizes mm -hmm. um, the need for some revisions. And I did that not to be um, untruthful or deceptive, but perhaps to safeguard the reviewer, even though right. the, reviewer, the reviewer would be nameless or, or not named. Uh, Sure. Uh, also, the quality of the journal. You know, if you send right. out reviews that don't make very much sense, um, mm -hmm. the, the journal's name uh, suffers, even if you're working to, to, to get a review and to get a name. So that so, was not easy, to say the least. Yeah. Um, uh, you, made, Jeff, you, so... made, you made the comment that we only had two international uh, board members. Yeah. Um, and of course, that but was that's, Greg. Greg and. Uh, Dave, yeah, but that's Dave, changed Dave, over Dave, the years. Dave Sugden, and actually, Dave passed away yeah. just a few months ago. Um, mm. I don't think I had um, international, the international stage in. in uh, in my mind very much and, and I'm, I'm really not sure since I, I wasn't from this country to start with um, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm not really quite sure how that uh, that turned out um, and uh, initially we certainly didn't get very many manuscripts at the beginning and of course it had to take time for people to to get to know that there was a journal to perhaps sure. look at it and say hey this doesn't look too bad. I'll maybe send it to someone. Right. Yeah. And game so momentum. Can, yes, I can credit uh, Karen DePaul 
and also Gudrun Daltepper um, from the Free University of uh, Berlin. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. As uh, two people who uh, talked to me several times about internationalizing the study, uh, the, the journal and so on. And so at about the time of the Berlin IFAPA symposium, Mm -hmm. um, I made a, a concrete effort to find some international uh, scholars who would uh, offer a paper to the journal. And there was, there was a sort of an international edition uh, produced. And uh, whether, whether the idea took off from there, I don't know. Now, eventually, of course, uh, uh, and I've challenged this a number of times. Uh, the journal has become, quotes, the official journal of IFAPA. And yet IFAPA does not, has not, and probably will not own the journal. Uh, mm -hmm. The journal does nothing about IFAPA. The fact that there might well be a board member or there have actually been uh, editors who are members of a FAPA, and I've been a member of a FAPA on and off too, uh, there, was, sure. there was no influence. So the word of has always worried me. The of meaning mm. possessive. Uh, they don't possess it. And so I would, I would have liked some different uh, terminology used to denote uh, mm. their, their valued, their valued uh, support. Uh, for the journal. And in fact, even within the last year, there has been yet another attempt of IFAPA to muscle in and argue that they started and owned the journal. Wow. And that's, that's, that's interesting. That's, and that has been subject to some um, fairly high level uh, discussions. Uh, it's true to say that IFAPA, and I'm very supportive of IFAPA. Um, right. But, but um, yeah, I didn't I know that was going I on. I don't, no. I don't see it as a research journal or a research um, mm. uh, association uh, at all. Um, and, and of course, if you go to Brazil, most of the people there are from Brazil. And if you go to uh, um, South Korea, most of the people there are from uh, Mm -hmm. South Korea or neighboring countries. And so there is that sort of flux in who's in IFAPA, right. what IFAPA is doing. And that doesn't, undermine, doesn't undermine it. It just uh, uh, establishes what sort of journal it is. But even right at the beginning, when uh, the name was announced, uh, I know a couple of people who tried to say that the name came from uh, IFAPA, mm -hmm. the journal, yeah. and in fact, they wanted at one stage to have a certain number of people on the board and uh, determine which papers could be published. Wow. Which. And so I, I, I talked to Reiner about that, and he poo-pooed the idea straight away. He was Good. Very, very annoyed by it, and he wanted the journal to stand along with other human kinetics publications. 
Right. So, Jeff, um, uh, let's jump over to because you've been talking a lot about uh, the editorial board and the process of uh, reviewing papers. So I'm going to jump a little bit here about you as the editor and a journal, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some maybe trends over the years. But you as the editor uh, and, a, and a journal can have a significant impact on a discipline. And you must have known that as, as you know, the editor that um, the direction the discipline can take and, and that had across your mind. Can you share your thoughts on your responsibilities as an editor to the profession and to its readership and maybe just briefly talk about that? And um, I'm sure along those lines, especially in the early years, like you were saying, um, you had to work with many authors who some of it, they were very new to publishing. They're not as sophisticated as they are today. When I, when I evaluate, um, like if I do a search, uh, PhD students are a lot more sophisticated than they were many years ago, and you know, in some instances. But also, how did you handle those who were not pleased with their manuscript review and and their submission? You know, some they had to make major revisions, or it wasn't even accepted outright. Like, how, how did you handle all that? Well, your thoughts about that. Um, well, it's not nice. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> of course, good point. You know, uh, saying no to to people is not is not sure. the best. Um, but I I think uh, I handled it reasonably well, at least from my own point of view, which I, I you know is limited and selfish. But um, all you can do is to faithfully evaluate each paper. Uh, not because it's this topic or that topic or the other topic, it's a paper and it's got to be evaluated properly and thoroughly and have reviews that are uh, meaningful and precise and thorough, uh, but also helpful to the author and of course to the editors, you, 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 you've got to do that. And, mm -hmm. so, uh, and so I sort of got used to writing uh, letters uh, rejecting papers but bear in mind that in the early years we didn't have a lot of papers right we we certainly had had enough to uh, to publish all the issues more than enough right. good papers but all we could do was to publish the the best of what what we received mm -hmm. um nowadays i think that the editor could exert a little uh, effect on APA programming. I'm not quite sure how he or she would do that, um, but there are the numbers of papers that you can send a message if, if somehow uh, the preponderance of the published papers uh, are sort of sport oriented right push or, a trend or, yeah or preponderance of the papers are you know, you know have another trend i suppose the potential readers or potential authors can evaluate that and say hmm my paper isn't likely to be positively reviewed by this journal because it doesn't seem to publish uh, papers in this area so that's right. not a that, that's not a published direction exerted by the editor or by the board but 
you know the message is there after all when we look uh, at our paper don't we also think about the audience sure I, I, I mean sending something to sport illustrated means that it gets m millions of readers sending it to apac it gets 23 or yeah. something uh, and, sure. and so look, looking at the audience uh, and, and, and you know, you know, suitability can determine that. I, I, I think the editor has only a limited influence. Right. Uh, but I haven't you, asked you any other, a... I haven't asked any other uh, editor about that. Yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. I mean, whenever I write, I, the first question I ask myself when I'm looking at the screen is, who's my audience? Who am I writing to? What journal am I writing? Like before I even write something, I've already in my mind have what journal I would be submitting it to. So that's an interesting point. But I, I wanted to share a story. I'm not even sure if you remember this, but um, I submitted the results of my dissertation that first year. I, you know, I, I finished in '84, and from you know UNM, and so I got my manuscript back. And uh, you know, looking back now, I realized. I had to make some major revisions and it wasn't very good, you know, my, my first, uh, when I submitted it and you were kind enough to discuss these revisions with me over the phone. We, we had this long, really positive conversation and what really stayed with me during the conversation, uh, was when you said to me, you know, Barry, uh, I've been publishing for a long time and the review process never gets easier. And publishing requires hard work and you need to be thick skinned. And when you get your manuscript review back, you need to just accept, you know, and be thick skinned. And if and, and if you have to question things, that's fine. But um, and I, I remember getting off the phone and thinking, well, Jesus, Jeff Broadhead uh, doesn't, you know, think it's still like difficult year after year. Who am I? I mean, I just started publishing. So. I always appreciated that, and I think you know, being an editor is is not easy, and and um, and I we're appreciative of that. Let's let's talk a little bit about. Can I, can um, I just can I just interrupt sure. you for a minute because your comments sure. were very your comments were very general, uh, not general, were very generous, uh, and I right. appreciate that because I'm I'm sure there are a number of people that I phoned who weren't weren't pleased with me. Um, okay, but but of course I've had papers rejected too, and I remember one particular paper um, where the review came in. Uh, it was actually from somebody at the University of Illinois. Uh, the reason it wasn't blind was because they used university paper with the imprint, the, the logo, uh, you know, embedded mm -hmm. in, the, in the in the paper. But there were two pages, and. Uh, I don't know where it was, but I suddenly found a comment that said the paper was beautifully uh, typed and there were no typos. And, and I thought, yeah, there's two, two papers and I've been slammed about 45 times. But the good part is there's no, there's no spelling mistakes or something. But <laughs> there so you what, go. You have, what you have to do is to, you know, if you if you get hot under the collar, just put the paper down. And sure. Pick it up a little bit later and say, I either good advice. Meet, I either meet the comments or argue against them or or, or whatever. It's uh, yeah, sleep now, on it. Barry, I don't remember that conversation with you. 
but right. what I what I did um, um, a month ago was to read your paper. <laughs> Melissa, are you listening? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, Barry, I can't speak for um, Jeff Martin, but it would be published today. It was a good paper. It was, it was very, good, thank very, you. very soundly constructed and, and, and written. And so, and, and that brings up a, not that I'm meaning to uh, pat you on the back necessarily, but, but, but to make the point about, uh, is the journal a better journal than it used to be? You, you know, we, we can quickly say, uh, yes, it is, or yes, it should be. Uh, but some of those uh, early papers are good papers. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we should sort of be proud of, uh, of what we do. And uh, I think the journal's in its 37th year. I haven't spoken to Jeff Martin uh, about it recently, and, and certainly I haven't spoken to Human Kinetics. But I'd like to think that the journal is now established. Mm -hmm. um, but we're the ones, or not, not you and I necessarily, but uh, Melissa and her colleagues are the ones. Sure. And That's decide, for them to do, right? Decide the future of the journal. Yes. Sure. So, so Jeff, looking back here now, overall, how, how do you feel that the journal helped to legitimize the profession? If maybe you could talk a little bit about that, because to me. Um, I, I think people are surprised when, when I was a doctoral student, sometimes when I tell them I'm specializing in adapted physical activity, they would even, you know, other kinese people sometimes would say, you know, what's their body of knowledge? What's their, their work? And, and maybe talk a little bit about that. What did it, did the, as a founding editor, do you think it achieved, you achieved what you set out to accomplish, you know, and talk um, a little bit about that. Barry, do you know I don't know that I had any aims like that. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I thought about starting a journal. I knew we didn't have one. I, I'd managed to have my own papers published in you know, available journals. Um, so I didn't really have that sort of motivation. Uh, and actually, I'm not quite sure I can remember some of the the thoughts that went through my head, I'm sure some did. Mm -hmm. I, I think that having the specialized journal in and of itself is maybe the biggest support for our field. We, we joined the club. We joined the club sure. of, of uh, areas of interest or sub-disciplines or call it right. yeah. uh, that have an international audience that go through a, uh, a review process, which I would imagine is suitably rigorous still. So, um, but but I'm not I'm not sure about the impact of the of the content of the journal. I'm not sure. Uh, of course, I'm not sure how to to gauge this. But do right. people sometimes read the journal and read a particular article, and and does that uh, motivate them to become interested in that area, to do more reading, and maybe do mm -hmm. some research. Um, Good question. You yeah. know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. 
whether that happens or not. But uh, and you know now the reviewers of the uh, not the reviewers the the editors um, have received some release time from the university. Right. Uh, I I didn't have any uh, help, whether it was financial or personnel or time. Um, I just had to fit it in, but 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 the job is a bigger job uh, than it used to be. Yeah, it's um, more sophisticated. Yes. Certainly. Uh, but but it does rely still on the reviewers. And I had right. heard They're the backbone. Uh, I, yeah, I had heard from a very reliable source that there are some of our top researchers will not review papers. Mm. Interestingly, I'm sure that if they submit a paper to any journal, they want the turnaround time to be fast. Mm -hmm. um, being That's an unfortunate. Editor, you gotta, being, yeah, you yeah. got to give back. Well, being an editor is, is not just a service. I think it's part of the academic endeavor. And mm -hmm. when um, a provost or perhaps head of department awards some release time for the editorial responsibilities, in one sense, they're, they're, they're saying this is a valuable um, proposition. Uh, right. This needs, to, this needs to be re rewarded with a time element. Um, yeah, unfortunately, like when you're looking at the retention, tenure, promotion thing, it, a lot of times this gets under service, and you know, as opposed, and people just uh, don't realize the impact that it can have. Those are good points about, and maybe one of the reasons why some people are reluctant to review. But if you don't have reviewers, you don't have a journal, and so I, I think we we all have an obligation to to give back. To the profession, so we're we're wrapping up here. And and Jeff, one one of the questions I want to ask you, and is based on you've got extensive experience over the years in research, and not only as a researcher but an editor. So, how about some advice you would give to uh, young professionals who are conducting quality research and, and publishing? What's some any specific bullet points or points you you want to give to young researchers? not only just doing research, but just the ability to publish in general. What are your thoughts? Well, I've thought about this a great deal. And about every five years, I've made a presentation about it. Uh, not mm -hmm. often enough, but, but too often for, for some of those who listen. Um, how, how, do I, how do I say this? As, it's not easy being a master's student and, in a sense, knowing what you want to do three or four or ten years later. Right. Um, and so it's easy to be hooked in to the system of uh, writing papers with other people. Um, I, I think for a thesis or a dissertation, um, I don't. I, I mean, I don't see that as a team effort. Mm -hmm. 
there's only one name uh, on the on the journal and and what i uh, uh, um, uh, among a number of things is it shares the expertise of developing the project and maybe even writing uh, the results and in that sense it lessens i think the individual expertise of the would-be faculty member mm -hmm. and so i think later on uh, if and when that new faculty member is uh, writing and acting as an independent researcher and sometimes that means working alone but what it means is you don't have to rely upon three or four other people to share their expertise mm -hmm. uh, that in independent research skills means competence across the conceiving and developing and organizing and administering and disseminating uh, parts of the research and so one of the things i think is that that if students say doctoral students can identify their future needs it would be to try to ensure that they uh, make sure that their training is thorough right i've been to so many presentations where someone down the road says you know first we did this and then we did that and i'm busy thinking and a couple of times i've said excuse me who's the we mm -hmm. you know at an interview we're only we only have one position we're only pointing one person and if you ask a question about an experimental design or the treatment of some data uh, i've heard it said quite often well i didn't do that part mm -hmm. So I think there are a number of issues involved here, but I think generally uh, the point that I want to make for a successful faculty member of the future to become as steeped in, as it were, all the aspects of a particular line or lines of research as, as is possible. Um, I was at a conference fairly recently and uh, quite a well-known person was giving a presentation really interesting project involving some uh, parents of, of children i i obviously don't want to give very many details and after the presentation i said uh, um, i noticed you did this that and the other but i didn't hear anything about a control group and the answer came back it was just a pilot study Mm. we'll put the gas in the car later i'll learn how to drive it first <laughs> uh, so that, that that sort of thing uh worries me. sure i don't have a you know when you get long in the tooth offering mm. uh, ideas in one sense is uh, is easy but in another sense isn't totally uh, totally relevant um, well, you I, bring up some interesting topics, you know, like uh, I think that, you know, at, at the university now, the buzzword is collaboration um, and people get really reinforced for that. And whether it's right or wrong, I, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people would argue that researchers become so sophisticated that you have to work in collaborative teams. And, and that's really promoted at, in, in higher ed today. 
but at the same time, like your point is well taken that you need to be able to, you know, develop a problem statement, to, you know, do you understand the research behind it? Can you review the literature? You know, can you do all the parts and do you have those expertise? And so it's, yeah, that, that, that's a really interesting topic and something that would be interesting to get uh, a few higher ed people together to really discuss the pros and cons of that. You know, I think that'd be really uh, an interesting uh, topic. So, so Jeff, we're wrapping up here. Is there anything else you want to share um, about the journal or the profession that we haven't discussed or you want to give any other uh, insights? I liked when you said uh, about the pilot study and you got to put, you forgot to put the gas in the, the tank. I like that. Anything else you want to want to share? That, that's my contribution. That's my contribution. To the <laughs> um, let, uh, let me I just say, what, you you would ask the question about those papers that occur about every ten years, yeah. talking about trends. Right. Um, it would. There's no policy about that. Um, mm -hmm. At least not not that I know of, and I've ne never heard of a, of a conversation about it. It would be a little peculiar, but not wrong, if uh, at year 40, that if um, faculty member X or X, Y, and Z, who might or might not even be on the review, uh, not well, might not be on the board or might not even review, mm -hmm. if they got if they got together and wrote the trends of the last 10 years i don't think that would be wrong but mm. it would be a new it would be unusual to produce a paper without involving the current editor right um but but so there's 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 no policy it just sort of happens um yeah there's always the editor the one, usually involved in that 10-year uh when they do the the review of 10 years is usually a paper and, and people can read those in, in APAQ. Like I'm, I'm thinking the last one that was done, uh, Hegel, Lee and Peretta did the one yeah. from 2004 to 2013. And those are, these are all uh, in the journal, you know, and um, I, I think it, it, it's interesting information. Yeah, um, sure. But, but some of it could be in the, uh, editor's annual review, uh, the editor's mm -hmm. annual report. You know, sure. how, many how many papers could you say have a sport emphasis? How many papers do you think have a motor learning basis? How many papers? Right. Um, you know, that that's sort of counting the beans a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I, right. find it in I find it interesting, but I don't, I don't save that to be preferred reading necessarily mm -hmm. um, yeah but you know but looking at the trends again i come to the point is that you can only publish what the reviewers think and what the editor thinks is the best of what's submitted right and Good i don't point. mean that i don't mean that to be negative but i think it's possible to to overstate the importance of the journal i think the journal's main importance is its existence alongside all the other journals and luckily, we have a, a publisher that has got 
consistently high standards for its journals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there Human are, Connect has been been great in that way. I, I, I published one or two papers in a journal called The Physical Educator many years ago. And that's mm -hmm. a really weird journal. There have been times when the journal has had a review board and been quite meticulous in its uh, review process. Mm -hmm. But it has had some periods of time when things have been a bit shoddy. Mm -hmm. And I think that human kinetics has been uh, uniform, very consistent. And I think consistent's a good word. Yeah, we all we all we all appreciate that. Sure. Is, well, Jeff, is, there, is there anything else that I can do bearing in mind my well, good, Jeff, and and I'm, uh, I, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise and insight. Um, well, and I want to thank you, Jeff, for not only myself, but the audience, uh, all you've done to help the profession and help legitimize it. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And, and I want you to stay safe. And I'm wishing you and, and everybody in the audience much health during these challenging times. So everybody take care. And um, Jeff, all the best to you. All right. Thank, thank you. you.